Welcome to the Sunday Messages podcast from New Hope Church in Cape Coral, Florida. Our mission is to glorify God by making fully devoted followers of Christ, by belonging together, believing in Christ alone, and blessing our world. And wherever you are on your spiritual journey, we pray today's message brings you hope and help along the way. Good morning. I'm so excited to be uh, preaching with you or at you today, and it's a blessing. And uh, be praying again for Pastor David as he is on vacation. And uh, if you're like, oh no, the youth pastor's preaching, and I had to hear that uh, ridiculous song, Jesus Freak. I tried, tried to tune that out in the 90s. Well, you can count on the youth pastor to bring all of those things back to life. So you're welcome. Okay, first off, you're welcome. All right, so I have right here my friend of uh, one of our teens, Mitchell. And Mitchell, I think, you know, I think you've been in uh, youth ministry with me for a while. Now, that was a terrible sp- spiral. But, you know, I think, and that was a terrible spiral. But I think, you know, I think, I think I'm pretty good at football, you know. I think that, you know, that a, a Division I college would really uh, value my talent, would really value my mediocre speed, all right. Now, I know that I could probably throw a football about 50 yards. Ooh, I don't know about that one. But I know I could throw a football about 50 yards, but I don't know if I could, uh, if I could read the defense well. I don't, know if I, could, if I, don't, I don't know if I could memorize that huge, thick playbook that people uh, have to memorize. But, you know, Mitchell, I think I'm good enough. I think I'm good enough not to play for an elite team, like Ohio State Buckeyes, okay? But I do think I could play for some mediocre team like the Gators, just throwing it out there. I really do think that, (laughs) all right? Now, again, I know they're in the spoiled and titled conference. That's fine, that's fine. But I I think I can make it work, okay? I think if Kyle Trask, if he can be a backup to like a 45-year-old quarterback, I think I can can do something at, at, at the Florida Gators, okay? Now, I don't need to practice. I'll just go next Friday, right before the game, and I'll just start throwing, chucking it like 50 yards. All right. I'll wear, uh, I'll wear all the get up. I'll, I'll gear up and make sure that they know who I am, right? Um, now, thank you, Mitchell. You can have a seat. I appreciate that. By the way, give Mitchell a round of applause. Thank you, Mitchell. By the way, Mitchell is, uh, like I said, he's one of our teens, and he spent his entire summer uh, volunteering at Word of Life Camp um, up near uh, Brooksville, Florida. And uh, so, not to brag about Mitchell, but <laughs> uh, but Mitchell, he he loves Jesus, and he spent his. I don't know about you, but I, I've never met a, a a senior in high school willing to just you know what, I'm going to serve Jesus voluntarily for an entire summer. So thank you, Mitchell. And uh, I'm hard on Mitchell. I believe that God's going to do some cool things in his life. But so you should be in Hebrews uh, 5 with me today. And uh, as you're getting there, I just want to encourage you with playing football. I love football. I love college football more than I do the than I do NFL. And um, I obviously, I think uh, with college football starting yesterday, um, it gets everyone excited. 
Um, for the teenage girls, it gets them excited because when college football starts, that means pumpkin spice lattes are out. And when uh, college football starts, that means my entire Saturday is completely blocked out. Okay, I got three hours of college game day. All right, and then I got usually the Buckeyes start around noon or one. And so I got that going for me. So it's, I, I love college football. Now, obviously, it's kind of ridiculous for me, being 29, I'm turning 30 here in a few months, but me being nearly 30 to say, I think I can play Division I football just like that. I don't need to practice. I can just go and, and completely start on a Division I football team. That's kind of ridiculous, right? We would all agree that that is silly, all right? And um, now I know there's Men who are in their 50s and 60s are like, I think I can still do that. But we'll talk to you guys later. It's all good. But the reality is, so often, if I could bring this to a biblical sense, so often we think that that's okay to do with our relationship with God. We have this idea that, you know, when we're justified, when we're born again, uh, when we've repented of our sins, we're, we're declared righteous before the Lord, all right, that happens at the moment of salvation. And then we have this process until we die over here. And in between, we have this place called sanctification. Now, sanctification, it's a, it's a really churchy word, if I may add. But we'll get to the definition here in a second. But then we're, we're just excited uh, when we're saved, when we're born again, to the, for the hope and the future that we have in eternity. Now, that's good. I'm excited with you for eternity. Amen? I would love to be in heaven right now. I would love to be in heaven, worshiping Jesus, asking uh, God if Adam and Eve had belly buttons. Trust me, that's the first thing that I'm going to ask God when I get to heaven, I promise. And uh, yes, I did say I'm the youth pastor, all right? So, but the reality is we have this sanctification time that we have something to do, all right? I remember when I was around four, five years old, that's when I, uh, my mom led me through the gospel. It was around Easter time. And so that's when my sanctification process started. And now here I am, almost 30, and I'm still in it. And then by the grace of God, I'll get to where my parents are in their mid-50s. And then where my grandma is being 91. And, you know, I will have a long life to serve Jesus. That's a lot of time for this sanctification process. But so often we... Uh, like I just exp explained playing football, and it almost got laughed at by you guys. I, there's no way that I'm going to a Division I football team and starting next Saturday. That's impossible. Because there's that time in between to build up to being a Division I starting quarterback. And there is also that time in between of that moment of salvation that you have experienced all the way to that moment where you see Jesus' face in eternity, and that's called sanctification. Now, what does sanctification mean? What is sanctification? Well, according to the Westminster Shorter Catechism, and yes, that is the name of the book that I had to read in college, and if you want, you can read it, but it might bore you. I don't know. But if you're in, into it like I am, um, I enjoyed it, but the Westminster Shorter Catechism, Catechism defines sanctification as this. It is the work of God's free grace whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God and are abled more and more to die unto sin and live unto righteousness. Now you're saying, man, that's a pretty wordy uh, definition there. Well, let me help you out. Dr. Piper, 
he says, uh, sanctification is progressively becoming like Jesus. Dr. MacArthur says that, the, that sanctification is the process of God's transforming work in your life. Dr. Grudem it, it says that a progr- it's a progressive work of God in man that makes us more and more free from sin and like Christ in our actual lives. Now, all of those guys that I just mentioned, they pretty much would fall in line with the Southern Baptist Convention uh, theological and doctrinal statements. But here, I, wanna, I would like to, for a second, step away from that. And even, uh, I would like to even... I, uh, <laughs> Identify what John Wesley, the famous guy who started uh, Methodism in the 1700s, this is what he had to say about sanctification. This is the process of change in a believer's life from sinfulness unto holiness. It is also the process of becoming more dead to sin while we become more and more alive to God. Now, let's look at a whole different denomination, the Christian and Missionary Alliance. They even add a word, progressive, into their definition of sanctification. And they say progressive sanctification is the gracious work of God where he enables the believer to replace the works of the flesh with the fruit of the Spirit. Now, looking straight hardcore at, at Greek here, it's the, this Greek word is hagiosmos, and it means separation or set apart. And so for us as a Christian, we are set apart from this world for God and his plans in our lives. Now, DC Talk with this song, Jesus Freak, that's what they identified to be in this sanctification process, to be a Jesus freak, to be completely sold out for Jesus. Now, those are, those are good definitions of what sanctification is. But what does the Bible have to say about sanctification? Well, we, there's a lot. If you do a word study on sanctify, sanctification, um, you're going to receive a lot of uh, verses. But in Leviticus 22, Ezekiel 37, John 17, Acts 20, Romans 6, 1 Thessalonians 5, Hebrews 10, they all give, all, and mind you, I, I went from Leviticus all the way to uh, the epistles here, and everywhere in between they have something to say about sanctification. So the Bible has a lot to say about what you're doing to be more like Jesus. Now we also need to understand why, though. Why, if, if I love Jesus, I have declared him as my, my Lord and my Savior, repented of my sins, what is the point of sanctification? What's this point? I just want to get to heaven. I just want to be with Jesus. What is this point that we have uh, to live for? And as we're going to uh, study here in Hebrews 5 on to uh, Hebrews 6, uh, 5, we, we value sanctification as the believer because of the growing apostasy in this world. Apostasy is this constant abandonment of faith in God and his commands. That's what apostasy means. Abandonment of faith in God and his commands. Now, we live in a society that is fueled daily by growing apostasy. Whether it's the situations in Afghanistan, the constant political strife, ongoing racial tensions. We have groups that, like Black Lives Matter, the LGBT community, and Planned Parenthood that are at constant opposition of what Jesus wants us to do. You have high murder rates, 15% increase from 2019 to 2020. 
We have an increase in suicides from 2019 and 2020. Suicides were number 10 on how people died, far more than COVID will ever be. We also have the pornography issue, well over a $100 billion a year organization. And if it makes you wonder how much money that is, the UN a few years ago reported to end world hunger for a year would cost around $35 billion. Yet the pornography issue is bringing well over $100 billion a year. And then we also have false teachers. We have false teachers like Bill Johnson, Kenneth Copeland, and Joel Osteen that will uh, stand on a pulpit and they'll preach a false Jesus to hundreds and thousands of people, pushing them away from a true gospel-centered presentation that the Bible presents. Church, I don't know about you, but that is a list of growing apostasy. Constant neglect of Jesus, of God, and his commands. And so that's why we value this time in between from when we're saved to when, we're, 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 when, we, meet, when we meet Jesus because there is growing sins around this world that are at constant opposition of what God is wanting to do in our lives and in our communities. Now, number two, why we value sanctification. It's because living like Jesus should be what we strive to do the most. To be in this process of sanctification is something that the believer is not just uh, should value, but the believer is called to do. To be in complete despair of one's self and one's sin, that, and, and to put away your sins and your old self and to constantly have the fruit of the Spirit, the God, God's work in your life is something that we should desire to do all the time. Now we, we understand, though, that sanctification, this, this process of removing ourselves, removing our sins, allowing the work of the Holy Spirit more into our lives, that unfortunately doesn't get preached on a lot. And so I want, why? But why doesn't it? Why doesn't it get preached on a lot? And the reality is, now I, I do say this, and it may offend some people, but we have a lot of spineless pastors on the pulpit today. We have a lot of spineless pastors that are more concerned with the bank account or filling the pews or the seats than they are preaching on this idea that God is holy, we are not, and we have a removal of our sins that needs to take place. I don't know about you, but for me, I don't like being told how bad I am, okay? I don't like being told how wrong I am. If you want to know, just ask Kara, okay? She knows that I do not like that. All right, and, and you're laughing because it's true for you. You do not like being said, you know what? You are so bad that you need Jesus. You need to repent of your sins more, and you need to turn to Jesus more. Like, so that's why I think sanctification doesn't get preached on enough is because that's a hard issue to combat with people, and that turns people away from the church. But when, when truth is preached like that, I believe spiritual growth is going to happen. And so our process in becoming more like Jesus, becoming more like Jesus freaks, we must take three steps. And I know what you're thinking, oh, please, God, don't tell me that's just his intro. It is just my intro, I promise. Okay, we need to do three things. We need to, one, we need to wake up. We need to wake up. Number two, we need to grow up. And number three, we need to show up. This is all things that we're going to talk about today and how we can value this process of sanctification, this process of becoming 
more like Jesus, this idea of living more in the ways of his commands. And so let us look at the Bible today. At this point, you should have turned already to Hebrews 5. You can scan the QR code in front of you, and that'll take you to our Bible app, and it'll have all the notes there. So reading verse 11 and 12, it says, About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need uh, milk, not solid food. Now, about this we have much to say. Let's stop there. In chapters 1 to 5, the writer of Hebrew, he, he, he writes a lot of different things. I mean, he writes that the supremacy of God is superior to the angels and to his creations. All right? He warns us of neglecting our salvation. He assures us of the salvation that we have in Jesus, in Jesus alone. In chapter 3, he, he, uh, for the writer of Hebrews, telling a group of Messianic Jews that are on the fence with this whole Jesus thing to say that Jesus is greater than Moses is a huge deal, but he says it. And then he goes on to say in their customs and in their traditions that he's not just greater than Moses, but he's greater than any high priest that has ever lived. And then in verse 10, he brings up this guy named Melchizedek which we're not going to go into uh, the, the theophany of Melchizedek and the studies of Melchizedek. That's your homework. How's that? If you want that, that's your homework. But, um, and he will talk about Melchizedek in chapter 7. But he, he pauses here and says, about this we have a lot to say. But hold on. I think you guys aren't understanding this. I think you guys need just to, just to chill for a second. And, and why does he do that? And the reality is he uses this Greek word, nothros, which can be interpreted as, in your Bibles, it will be dull or sluggish, slothful, lazy. He calls them out, he calls them out for having lazy-like hearing. He knows that if they wake up, if they wake up and stop being dull and sluggish, and lazy in their hearing, they will commit fully to their lives uh, and commit to this whole Jesus thing that he is wanting them to commit to. And that they will never want to turn away from Jesus, that they will never fall into this uh, idea of apostasy in the world. To mature in their understanding of Christ would for them, they would also grow in their affection for him and the hatred of sin around the world. The writer of Hebrews, he also continues to encourage the readers to move on and, and, and strengthen themselves in their own faith and move on to something more than just the basic uh, oracles of God. And what that is, is simply the basic teachings of the gospel. We read the oracles of God, uh, the Greek word here is logion, and that is in reference to the Old, uh, Old Testament law. In Romans 3.2, Paul, he mentions how these teachings, these lessons and practices, they were taught to the Israelites from Moses on down, and they were taught so that the Israelites would grow in their understandings of who God is and the promises that he gave to you and I and to them as well. He's saying, move on, on past that. The reason why you're not moving on past that is because of your lazy and dull hearings. Now, 
to fall in line with the two-week sermon series of being a Jesus freak, to be a true Jesus freak, we need, as the New Hope, as the church in Cape Coral, we need to wake up and lay aside a lazy sanctification or a I'm too good for that sanctification. Now, what I mean by that is, you know, church, how's this? I'll be honest. Now, I haven't been in, in ministry long. It's been about 10 years. But, but I have in the church so often seen uh, when we're promoting, um, hey, you should volunteer here. Hey, you should go on this mission trip. Uh, hey, uh, you should lead a small group. Hey, you should do this. Hey, you should actually do something, right, for the kingdom of God outside of just filling the seats on Sunday mornings. You should do something more. I get this conversation. Oh, I just, I don't know, Matt. Ah. I just, I don't know. I, I don't, uh, I don't, I don't. And I, I have these conversations all the time. And when I have these conversations with people, it's not because I think they're insecure in their faith. It's not like I would ask people to go on a mission trip if I didn't know that they were saved to begin with. I just think they think they're too good for that. I don't know, Matt. You really want me to go on a mission trip and sacrifice two weeks of my vacation? Yeah, I don't. I don't think so. And then next month, uh, they're on a cruise to the Bahamas. It's like, okay, really? Really? We're going to show that. We're going to do that. That's how we value our sanctification. Church, we have to wake up and move past this, I'm too good for that sanctification. There are people in desperate need of the gospel every single day. And when we input this idea of, I'm just kind of too good for that. We are being dull hearers to the, what the gospel says and what the Great Commission is, not just for the people in the Bible, but for us as New Hope. The Great Commission is still intact and active for us to live out every day. And when we say, I'm too good for that, I don't, I'll let somebody else do that, it's bringing nothing spiritually beneficial to you. Think about that. When you say those things, hey, I'd love for you to go on this mission trip. Mm, I, don't, mm, I don't want to. How, who's that benefiting? Nobody. That's not even benefiting you. It's showing that you're, you're prideful and that you don't want to uh, sacrifice something for the kingdom of God. You know, I think of James 1, <clears throat> 22 and 23. It says, but be doers of the word and not hearers, only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and once again forgets what he's looked like. Have you forgotten what the gospel is? Have you forgotten your identity in Jesus that you're going to say, I just think I'm, I'm too good for that. I don't think it's going to benefit me. I think I'm a little too concerned. I think I'm a little too worried about what's going to happen. Are we really going to live in that life? And the, the reality is that church... <laughs> I've said I'm a very mission-minded person. Some of us are living in that I'm too good for that sanctification and look at the empty seats around us. It's because we come up with that. I don't know if I should witness to that person at, at work. I don't know if I should talk to my neighbor. I don't know if I should talk to the person next to me at math class. I don't think I should do this. I don't think I should do that. It's all saying that you're, you think you're too good to do something. Where is it getting us? It's only getting us with dull hearing that this mindset is. We're dull hearers to what the gospel says when we come up with this, I'm too good for that, or this lazy type sanctification. 
Moving on to verses uh, 13 to chapter 6-2, it says, For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the, in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for, they, for those who have their powers of discernment, trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Continuing in chapter 6, verse 1, Therefore, let us leave elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance, from dead works and of faith toward God, and of instruction about washings, the laying on hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. So he's saying that when you wake up to what God wants you to do in your life, when you're being attentive and you're inclining your heart to the will of the Father, there's going to be this idea where you're going to you're going to wake up and see what has to be done, and you're going to leave these elementary doctrines that the gospel preaches. Now, I'm not, now, now save your emails to Pastor David saying, Matt doesn't want me to, to value the gospel. That's not what I'm saying. In fact, I'm saying the love that you have for the gospel should prompt you to grow more in your faith, more in your knowledge about who he is and what he wants to do in your life. And, and so for the writer here, he's saying it is critical for the understanding of the gospel to be the foundation of the faith and to build on top of that. You can only mature and grow in the ways of the Lord by having declared Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior and repenting of sins. Verses 1 and 2, it quickly alludes to them that they've heard the gospel. They've heard, they've heard the gospel in some way, shape, or form. And for some of them, mind you, this is written around 70 A.D. It's not like Jesus was like 500 years ago. Some of them probably experienced Jesus' ministry, seen him, or even seen the disciples' ministry. And it's saying, he's saying, leave elementary doctrine. Leave the basic principles of the faith. Let, the, let that be a foundation of where you're supposed to be at and grow because of it. You know, I just brought Mitchell. He's a senior in high school, okay? Mitchell's a senior in high school. My wife, she's a kindergarten teacher. Now, as much as kindergartners are crazy, and you need to pray for those kindergarten teachers, especially uh, Kara Irvin, if you want to know, pray for Kara. She needs it. 24 kindergartners, right? Crazy. But anyways, it would be like Mitchell, a senior in high school, who already knows everything a kindergartner knows, Right? Now, some of the teens are laughing because they're like, they need to go back to kindergarten. But, some of, uh, but if Mitchell was in my wife's kindergarten class, that would look kind of odd, right? That would kind of look silly. We would expect Mitchell to know more. We would expect Mitchell to be more fruitful in his knowledge of all the previous like 13 years of kindergarten. But as much as that sounds silly, that's what the, that's what the people that he's writing to, that's what they're doing. They're constantly in complacency with where they're at, not having a desire to grow. And for us, for us at New Hope, Pastor David, myself, we can, we can say be a part of a belong group until we're blue in the face. Because, and this is why. Because we, we value your spiritual growth. We value you at New Hope to be so active in your jobs and in your communities and your neighborhoods that when somebody asks you a question, it's not, hey, hold on, let me text my pastor. Now, again, those things are fine. If you do that, please use us as a resource, of course. But don't, let, uh, don't, don't think that's going to be okay with that person. Because the, the, the harsh reality is, 
I'll be honest, I've been a part of those conversations like, um, I, I, I will be honest, I don't know. Let me get back to you. And the reality is sometimes those walls, because I don't know, those walls for that person to, go, to know Jesus more just got higher. So we at New Hope, we as the body of Christ need to be uh, growing in our faith, growing in our knowledge of, of God, moving past the basic principles of Jesus. And I am saying moving past the basic principles. And for some of us, you might need to even just sit and say, I need to know what the gospel is. Because for years in kids' ministry, we've said, accept Jesus into your heart as the gospel. But I'll give you, a, uh, I'll give you, a, if, you if that was you, I'll give you an unfortunate reality, 1,189 chapters, and that's not the gospel message. That's 1,189 chapters in the Bible, and that's not the gospel message. So for some of us, we need just to identify what the gospel message is and then grow in that, grow past that, grow, grow more towards our knowledge in him. Because church, our community needs it. Your coworkers, they need it. If you're, if you're waking up to this reality of, of people needing Jesus, and you're understanding that to be a true Jesus freak, we must grow up and progress in our knowledge and affection of who God is and the call that he has on our lives. It's going to prompt us to grow in our knowledge of him. We need to know more about what we believe. I say this to teens all the time, and I'm saying it here on a Sunday morning. The church, unfortunately, is filled with a bunch of stupid Christians. And you're like, hold up, that's a little mean. But it's a little honest, too. Again, we have to grow in our knowledge of God. There are so many uh, sermons to listen to, YouTube uh, pastors to watch. There's so many documentaries to, to listen to and, and, and watch. There's, there's podcasts and, and sermon series to listen to. There's um, books to buy. There, the, your, the resources are unlimited to you growing in your knowledge of who God is. Past these basic principles of the gospel. And so I just want to challenge new hope. That's why we love our belong groups. I'm a part, Jeremiah, he's over here. He, he leads a Tuesday night men's small group. And I, I mean, I can't make it every week, but when I do, man, I leave refreshed. I leave, man, that was so good just to get more in depth with the word. I believe we've been in Matthew for like what seems like a year and a half, but it's been good. It's been good. And so we value you at New Hope, being a part of these belong groups, because that's where your growth and knowledge about who God is, it's going to happen. And so church, if you're not doing that, read a book, listen to a sermon, do something about growing in your faith and in your knowledge of who God is. Leave these elementary principles that, that your foundation is, is based on, because that foundation is really thick and it's ready for growth. Grow in the, your knowledge of God. Because when you're growing in your knowledge of God, it's going to bring your affection of who he is and who we are even more. It's going to be like, man, I need God even more than I thought I did because of the knowledge that I gained. I remember when I was in, in college and I was at Moody and I was hearing all of these professors and hearing all of these sermons. And man, when I was in college, that was a valuable time for me to just grow, to learn, to mature in my faith. And I'm admitting that I still need to grow, all right? My, my growing doesn't stop, right? Even with David getting his doctorate degree, uh, David's growth and his knowledge of who God is doesn't stop. 
Maybe if he gets another doctorate, maybe, if, maybe it'll stop then. I don't know. But, but the point is, we cannot stop growing to know more about God because our affections about God should grow. And if our affections are growing, our knowledge of who God is is going to grow as well. <clears throat> All right, moving on to verse 3 to 6. The writer of Hebrews says this, And this we will do if God permits, for it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the, the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. All right, so there's a lot to say on these verses. I'll just start right there. <laughs> uh, this has been this section of of Scripture has been one of the most debated upon parts of Scripture in the whole Bible. Um, outside of Adam and Eve had belly buttons. Just throwing it out there. Just kidding. That was a joke. All right. Just making sure you guys are listening. All right. But this is, there's a lot to say. So hopefully I can condense this into just a few uh, sentences that um, you can build upon and do more studying on. Right. Growing your knowledge. You know, when someone experiences the goodness and faithfulness of God, having been enlightened to their, their sins and knowing truly what the gospel is, tasting God's heavenly gift of salvation, sharing in the Holy Spirit, knowing and understanding the word of God, and then they say they rejected Christ and his message, I'm going to say, I believe is not true. I don't think you can do that. I actually would say it's, it's folly to believe that you can lose your salvation. And the reason why I say that is because you, 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 your salvation, it isn't one to give or to lose. It, your, your salvation is secured in the one who paid for it. And that person is only Jesus. People will say in certain denominations, well, it says uh, shared in the Holy Spirit. It talks about it being in past tense. And, you can, and because of that, you can lose um, your, your salvation experience. You can lose um, your spot in eternity. But that, this, this term shared in, in Greek, if you just look at Greek, it's the same uh, Greek phrase used in Luke 5, 7, where it was referencing to people just hanging out with the disciples. They weren't a part of anything. They weren't a part of the disciples group. They were simply in the midst of, of uh, the disciples. Essentially, this Greek phrase means partners. Or if you have an NASB Bible, it will probably say partakers. You know, when I think about this, it's um, a few years ago at our church in Ohio, um, I took our teens to a block party. And what that was, um, was the Cleveland Cavaliers and the Golden State Warriors, they were playing in the NBA championships, all right? And they had in Cleveland at the Gund Arena, um, they had a watch party. Now, it wasn't the game because it was out west um, when they were playing Golden State, but you could come and you could watch the game and you could watch it on the big screen. You could uh, get prizes, and you could win, uh, play games to get certain uh, raffles, and it was a lot of fun. I will be honest, it was a good time, but I'll be honest, I don't know about you, I would have much rather have been out west, right, at Golden State, and say, hey, I and I was there, I was actually present for that game. Um, now, think of your favorite football team, or basketball team, or baseball team, um, you can probably say the same thing. I, it's like, I wouldn't want to be just watching it, but I would like to be there. I would like to be present. 
Now, what I get from this is this partakers, this Greek understanding here is we just don't get to be at a block party. No, we get to be actually there. We get to be present. We get to be watching the Cleveland Cavaliers come from a 3-1 deficit and win the NBA championships. And it was obviously, I was really thankful as an Ohio a person from Ohio. I'm like, thank you for that. But the reality is we need to understand that in coming, looking at the word of God, this is identifying not someone's point in salvation, if they're saved or not saved. This is just making sure that you understand the difference between general revelation and special revelation. General revelation says God's grace is on the unsaved that he would let you come into the church. He would let you be partakers of what we're doing here, let you come to a small group, let you even come at youth group. He would let you do all of these things and not be saved. That's general grace. That, that's, that's general revelation. That's a gracious God that he would let us as an unsaved person come into a church and be a part of that, okay? And then, but we have this special revelation. If you've declared Jesus as your savior, repentant of your sin, man, coming to church, seeing these things happen, they mean so much more to you. Having been enlightened, tasting the heavenly gift, being in the Holy Spirit, tasting God's goodness of the word, seeing miracles and signs happen. As a believer, we're like, man, we know what that is and we're given glory because of it. We know what that is because we serve a God who has, because of grace, saved us. Now, what we understand, though, I will say this quickly. Experiences do not save you. Experiences like here, do not save you. Repentance of your sins and a declaration of Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that's what save you, saves you. And we have a lot of churches that will be more value, have more value on the experience than they do on making sure people are getting saved. And so what the writer of Hebrews is saying to these people, understand God's grace, first and foremost, that when you are saved, you get to experience these things. And don't think you can lose your salvation because of that, but be embracing God's good grace. Now it says this, having fallen away, in verse 6, having fallen away, to restore to them again, uh, restore them again to repentance. Again, this will be used by uh, Arminian and Wesleyan theology on the grounds that people can lose their uh, lose their salvation, then potentially regain their salvation. But let's, again, let's look at clarity in the text. They're saying, what the writer here of Hebrews is saying, that if they go back to their Jewish customs, their Jewish ways, their Jewish family, their Jewish laws, if they go back to that, it's going to be so severe for them that they might not get saved. Because remember, he's writing to these people. They're on the fence. They're like, I don't know if I'm going to commit myself to Jesus. I don't know if I'm going to commit to myself to Judaism. And he's saying if these people go back and fully commit themselves to that, uh, to that faith, to Judaism, those people, they're not going to come back. He's highlighting, I wish, you know, and if I could have a say in the canonization of Scripture, which I don't, but if I did... If I was a writer of Hebrews, I would almost quote Luke 12, 53. 
Jesus says they will be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. He, right here, the writer of Hebrews, he's not, he's not highlighting saved or unsaved. He's writing the, about the importance of staying the course, staying committed, and at whatever cost, follow Jesus. Whatever the cost is, stay the course, follow Jesus. It's been grace you have been saved. Commit to that wholly and fully. And then lastly, this word contempt at the end of verse 6 in Greek, it's a paradematizo, and don't ask me to say that again because I will probably butcher it. But this means a public and shameful display. The writer of Hebrews, he says um, they can go back, if they can go back to their customs, they are showing God how they truly view uh, God's son's sacrifice. The ESV study Bible writes here, Uh, that such a falling away treats God's own son with such a serious rejection that it is as if the person wanted again to put Christ on a cross, and after such a departure, there can be no return. You know, to be a true Jesus freak, we must show up in the calling that God has given us and to be continually amazed in the ongoing, never-stopping, everlasting grace of God. God has given us an ample amount of grace. We're not going to out the grace of God. We're not going to sin to the point where we lose our salvation because for me, from a philosophical perspective, if I can potentially lose my salvation because of a sin, how can, can Jesus' sacrifice on the cross be good enough to regain it? What I think, though, that needs to be highlighted is Romans 6. 12 to 15, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace." What then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. God's grace is never-ending. It's everlasting. And it is sufficient until the ends of time. And I want new hope. I want us to live like that. We have so much grace that God has given to us. And we are in our fears, in our insecurities, we are living in those rather living in to the grace of God. It's the fears, it's the insecurities that will prevent you from, from waking up. It's your fears and it's your insecurities that will prevent you from growing up. Then lastly, it's your fears and it's your insecurities that will prevent, prevent you from showing up. When you think about those couple things, If we do what God has called us to do because of his immeasurable grace, we are going to be living like that. So, new hope. Let's live like that. Pray with me. Jesus, we thank you for this day. We thank you for all that you've given to us. We thank you. We thank you, Jesus, for your immeasurable grace. We don't deserve it. We haven't done anything to earn it. 
but God, we identify it as a free gift. And so God, I pray for my brothers and sisters here. I pray that they will, uh, that they will grow up, they will wake up, that they will grow up and that they will show up in their faith, that they will understand the areas in their lives that they, they need to grow in. God, I pray for humble repentance. I pray that they will cry out to you, Father, to help them understand who they are more in you. And God, I pray for, for our church. I pray for New Hope. God, let us be a church. Let us be a church that wakes up. Let us be a church that grows up. Let us be a church that shows up because, God, there is a lot to live for in this time of sanctification. This process of sanctification is, is ongoing until we meet you, and we have a lot to do until we do meet you. So, God, let us at New Hope do just that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us on today's podcast. We hope it's been an encouragement to you. You can find more free resources, learn about our church, and partner with us financially when you visit us online at newhopecapecoral.com. Also, if you have a question or a story to share, we'd love to hear from you. Drop us a line on the contact page, once again, at newhopecapecoral.com. Finally, if this message was a blessing to you, would you take a moment to share that blessing with others? You can do that by subscribing on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen, and by leaving a review to share your story with others. Thanks again for tuning in and for helping us share the hope of Jesus with the world he loves. We'll see you next time.